Welcome to the Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take charge of your childbearing journey for yourself and your family. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on Wise Birth Radio. In this episode of Wise Birth Radio, we're going to continue on with the story of the Gillespie family. Well, are you changing your last name? Of Mabel, of the family of Mabel, Patrick, and Olin. There you go. And we're going to dive into the details of her postpartum experience, which as hopefully you all know that we're super passionate about. So hopefully this lends some inspiration and encouragement and we can highlight all the things that were really helpful for her and maybe things she would do differently next time. And we're also outside walking and it's a little windy, so hopefully this turns out okay. I hope so. The breeze is really nice. Okay, so maybe we can rewind a little bit and talk about um, kind of the postpartum structure that we set up for all the ladies. Definitely. So I don't know if we even talked about how many people were pregnant this year. <laughs> we did. So for those of you who do not know our situation, we live in a community with 40 or 50 people. And this past year, we had six, seven, seven pregnant ladies. So there's seven new babies now between the ages of one year and four months or something, three months, four months. Car just went by. So there's a lot of postpartum planning and support to be done. And we created a system that I think we'll probably go more into depth than another time, but basically we had whoever was interested in the community sign up for various shifts. There was people who did cooking, there was people who came and did more like intimate body work, sits bath preparation, emotional support, space holding, yada yada. And we tried to create a schedule so that someone was coming to the new mom's home every day for some sort of support. And the intention was this was for this to be six weeks. Yeah, for six weeks. And you know, obviously as the weeks went on, people it was less imperative and people felt more comfortable with dropping out, but we wanted people to feel like they had something for six weeks. And I six think weeks being mostly successful. The sacred window, forty two mm-hmm. days. Golden window, sacred window, lying in period. In most cultures there's Guadalina. a time of around forty days for specific postpartum protocols. All right, so what was, so that can, do you want to talk about what your, your specific postpartum plan structure? Um, like, well, actually, as I asked that question, it's so funny because we spent a pretty decent amount of time helping to set up other people's yeah. schedules and like, ahead of us? Y- out of me, I mean? Yeah, yeah. This person on cooking, this person on yep. yada yada yada, and, and I you remember get Tuesday, except for every sitting other there in Mabel's labor, texting people like, "Okay, <laughs> who's gonna cook tomorrow? Who's gonna cook on That's Wednesday?" Funny. Setting up the schedule while Aww. she's in labor. So thanks, Sarah. 
yeah i mean you're welcome but at the same time i'm sorry that i was doing it then because i just think it's interesting and kind of ironic that like you know that saying it's like the carpenter always like has stuff to do on his house or like the electrician always has electrical problems you know how it's just easy to put yourself and your own projects and stuff behind everyone else's and i definitely feel like that to some degree i was not prepared to have a baby on my due date that too (laughs) i was like fully ready to be like 42 43 weeks Uh let's go yeah yeah so um but let's see you you also had your mom here she was staying about half an hour away and she came every day usually in the afternoon because her morning routine is quite extended Um, and I had Patrick who took off work for two weeks I think two weeks and then the third week was like kind of half half days and working right in the neighborhood but I don't I feel like and I live with Sarah Philip so right that's special that's special of course of course it's special (laughs) but I mean I'm also super busy and yeah I didn't wasn't able to be you know of course that's present and yeah I never even had a home massage from you oh watch out uh yeah I don't think you even got a home massage from me no I got half one leg. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. Okay, so back to what we have. We did plan in advance. I had been retaking for the second time. Uh, I believe it's called the Conscious Postpartum Caregivers Program. Um, it's by the Center for Sacred Window Studies, based out of Massachusetts. This woman named Christine Eck. Super awesome. It's sort of an Ayurvedic-based postpartum caregiver training. And I'd done it once a few years ago and decided to take it again while I was pregnant, both like to brush up for future professional work and knowledge, but also just to really feel back into it for myself now experiencing it the first time. And that was super amazing and I really love learning about all that. And in that there was one assignment for the postpartum cooking course where we had to make like a sample meal plan for a postpartum woman. Um, And so I did it for myself, um, taking into account the doshas or the energies of the season and of myself, like just my own body, what I know about myself. And hold up a second, we're gonna nurse the baby while we walk. (laughs) And so I put that together for myself. I had, well, we created this super epic cookbook that was a compilation of I did this of recipes from various postpartum cookbooks there's some from the first 40 days there was I forget what all the rest of them are called but maybe I'll put a link to some good postpartum cookbooks so I had that together I had it organized by weeks so like these are some good recipes for the first 10 days these are some good recipes for the first two weeks And then I put a schedule for myself together saying, whoever's cooking on my first day postpartum, I would like them to make me this for dinner. Here's a link to the recipe in the cookbook. And I would like this snack. And then I would like this warm drink. Yeah. And it made it very easy, actually. It was nice to know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're going on a detour to the alpacas. So. So you had your menu all scheduled out. And I had. I think seven, six or seven people signed up for different days of the week to cook. And it was mostly great. 
there were some days where I was like, ah, I can't eat this, but I really appreciate the effort you put into it. My like someone made kitchery with green mung beans, which mm-hmm. even when I'm not newly postpartum, I just cannot digest. Mm-hmm. Does yeah, not work out for yeah, me. So difficult. use split yellow mung beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some, one day our good friend Dan cooked for me and he had not yet recovered his sense of smell or taste <laughs> after COVID. And so it was just like so, not even spicy, but so spiced. And there was just like giant chunks of ginger and full coriander seeds and it was a little too intense (laughs) but there was a lot of effort and love put into it Mm -hmm. so i i ate that instead of the food ate the love yeah yes (laughs) the intention yeah and then so you felt pretty pretty well covered on the food front patrick became a rice pudding expert he did he was very good at it it was my favorite which is a kind of big deal because Patrick's not like... He's not a kitchen whiz. He's not a kitchen whiz. And it was really, really cute to see him putting effort and taking pride in yeah. his... I remember complimenting so him on his rice pudding and he was like, he really took it to heart. He was like, oh, mm-hmm. I did a good job. It was very sweet. Um, yeah. Do you want to... I feel like maybe you'll get to this, but I feel like it would be cool for you to give like just a little sample of your kind of like what your daily menu looked like because yeah, it was kind of extensive at a moment yeah yeah maybe we do that but I mean the basic premise it was a lot of stews like lentily kitchery stews moon who we happen to be walking past right now to visit the alpacas made some really epic kitchery <laughs> good job moon um there was a lot of like Soaked almond and date drinks, tahini milk. Um, our friend Agata made these super epic sweets that were like soaked goji berries and cashews and cardamom and maybe some dates. And she blended them up and put these in them in little heart molds. And they were like sweet and they dissolved in my mouth and they were so good. And she put them in a container in the fridge and wrote, Mabel, no, she wrote Agata Sweets on it. But for whatever reason, my mother thought it said Swats. So she was like, I brought you some Swats. And from then on, we were just like, we just called them Swats. So I'd be like super at five in the morning and I was just starving and I'd be like, I need a Swat. Don't bring me a Swat. For those of you who haven't picked up on this yet, Mabel's mom is pretty silly. She's a very silly Quite lady. A we character. should do a podcast episode with her. We really should. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, but I'm thinking even like just from start to finish of the day, like first thing in the morning you would have Okay, so first thing in the morning, I was hungry and awake long before anyone was there to assist. So I had by my bedside, I had a little jar of honey and a water, one of those like electric kettles, which I would strongly suggest. Postpartum pro tip, get a kettle next to your bed so you can make yourself, even if it's not tea, just hot water throughout Mm -hmm. the day to sip. Mm -hmm. Because cold water is really... (laughs) kind of depressing for your digestive system mm-hmm. whereas the hot water helps to bring everything bring the fire back again so in the morning I would make myself a cup of hot water and I would put a spoonful of I had this herbal ghee it's called Pantracola ghee it has five different Ayurvedic herbs in it there's ginger and pipili root and chitrak and I don't remember exactly but I can put a link to that too because that was It just felt so nourishing to me, like having those 
gentle warming digestive spices in the fat first thing in the morning and then I put some honey in it too so I drank a cup of that and then I would usually ask Patrick to get me a swat or something that was easy for him to bring to me first thing in the morning because I was starving mm -hmm. and then he would make rice pudding or Sarah would make some kind of like soaked super yummy dense oatmeal thing with oh, yeah. ghee and Toast, toasted, there's like a toasted ginger almond butter date. Yeah, I don't usually like oatmeal, but when you toast the oats first in ghee, it's like next level. Yeah. And it also, it again, it makes it more digestible. Uh, we're going to leave Mayu here? I'm just sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that would be breakfast. Then I would, I think, have some kind of snack or like warm drink. Like I said, the almond date thing or tahini milk or my mom made this really good spiced milk. We get raw milk from a farm mm. down the road and she would warm it up with like cardamom and cinnamon and fennel. It was really yummy. Um, and throughout the day, I would also be drinking what we called PPT. It stands for postpartum tea. I think that's another mom. Yep. Uh, it was like a nourishing herbal infusion. It had red raspberry leaf, nettles, oat tops, alfalfa, maybe some rose. Mm -hmm. And I would usually drink a quart of that throughout the day. I had a big thermos, that's another pro tip. Keep a thermos of hot tea by your bed. Someone can just bring it to you in the morning and you can sip it throughout the day. Okay, and then someone would bring lunch. Often it was a little too late for my liking, but mm. it was okay. They would, after the first couple of days where it was usually just like kitchery or just dal or just some kind of mush, it would be often some kind of mush and maybe a really soupy, stewy grain and some kind of very well-cooked, well-spiced vegetable. Mm -hmm. I was super into the asparagus kitchery. Oh, that's what I want to eat for dinner. So <laughs> that was very yummy. And then afternoon, similar situation, like a nutrient-dense drink or if there was any more gotta swats or something along those lines, and then dinner would be leftovers from whatever people brought, because people always brought a lot of food. Mm -hmm. and Which is great, and Patrick didn't want to eat any of it. Yeah, Patrick is not a kitchery guy. <laughs> nope. Yeah, so that was, those were the days. And you think you have to eat a lot in pregnancy, and then you're postpartum, and you are hungrier than you've ever been in your entire life. Like every hour. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I really liked for breakfast was that cornmeal. I got blue cornmeal. We'd make like a blue cornmeal porridge. That was super yummy. Oh, and I'm having a staring contest <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, that was, that was yummy. But and people would bring me bowls of food that I was just like, that's so much food. And then I'd eat the whole thing and be like, I feel like I'm still hungry. I also, at one point I made her a cranberry pudding thing. Oh yeah, that was interesting. And it was really exciting and something that I read in the recipe book that I, that mm -hmm. I really liked was just, they were talking about the importance of color in mm -hmm. food. And beauty. And beauty and, you know, just like the color therapy um, translates to the food. Look at those little mushrooms, they look like lions, maybe. Yeah, they do. So I just wanted to add that because sometimes the kitchery, soupy, stewy things can all start to look like yeah. one color. So adding some little pops. Of yeah, or like some cilantro on top mm -hmm. and a nice artsy dollop of yogurt or something. Yeah. But one thing, I mean, we should definitely do a whole podcast on postpartum food. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is that 
Ayurvedic food, like what I'm specifically have learned about is Ayurvedic cooking postpartum, but Ayurvedic cooking doesn't have to mean Indian food. Mm -hmm. Like you can take all the principles of warming spices, warm food, colorful food, beautiful food, and translate it to whatever cuisine you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So if you come from like an Italian family and that's what you're used to, you would use those mm -hmm. carminative herbs, those digestive herbs like oregano and thyme, thyme and all that, rosemary. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, you know, if you're like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to have an epic postpartum food system that'll like totally bring back my digestive fire and make me feel super grounded and nourished, but I hate Indian food. Yeah. There's, there's other ways to do it. Yeah, because in reality, all, of, all over the world, this was all knowledge mm -hmm. and practices that were put into place for all the postpartum women. They all had their techniques and their traditions. Yeah. And, and they're all the same principles, which is so cool. Yeah. Like this is such universal knowledge and you can view it through whatever lens you, you use, whatever your preference, your tradition, your, whatever you're comfortable with. So what, what other things were you implementing besides the epic food? Yeah, so I also had five women, five I think, who I had asked to come visit once a week to do a massage or set up a sits bath or just like hang out and talk. And that, you know, usually only like three of them came a week for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, but that was great. It was nice to get some body work. Her friend Zan gave me the most epic postpartum massage. Postpartum mm. massage isn't really, it's not like, you know, like a deep tissue, like really getting in there and working out the knots things. A lot of it is mostly about like saturating the body in oil, keeping everything warm and keeping everything moving because when you're lying still for that long, your lymph can get kind of stagnant. So just like moving the lymph, warming the body <laughs> and just sort of like integrating the whole body back together after that shattering experience that is birth mm. and our friend Zan is just like super intuitive and very sensitive and she gave me this amazing really light massage and for a lot of the times when she was you know like she'd be touching my leg in a certain way and I would be feeling it through Olin's body mm. like he was Olin was in another room with Patrick I think they were like hanging out in the sun <laughs> but Zan would touch my leg and I would feel his leg be touched in that way yeah, it was really cool. And then I was kind of like, wait a second, this is supposed to be my massage. <laughs> but Aww. it was really special. I definitely cried. Aww. One thing that I can say when you're receiving massages, even though it can be tempting, you're like, I've been in the room alone with my baby all day. I want to talk to someone. Don't talk during Aww. it. Because I did. And I feel like I just, I wasn't able to drop in as deeply as I Aww. would like to next time. Aww. That's a really good, that's a really good tip. And maybe... Yeah. Uh, leading to the next point of, you know, did you feel like you needed or war was wanting more social engagement at? Not certain? like socializing for the sake of socializing, but definitely just like some quality sit down with another woman time. Mm -hmm. So you were often busy. My mother is not like the most like nurturing, calm sort of woman. Mm -hmm. She was, she brought a lot of light and levity and joy and humor. But sometimes I just wanted to like sit there and talk to someone and cry about something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I didn't have 
those people as much. Or I didn't ask for that as much as I could have. Mm. Was there anything in specific that you felt like you needed or wanted to cry about or it was just like a general no. release of I mean I don't even know energy. if I needed to cry I don't even know if I needed to talk just mm -hmm. maybe like sitting next to someone because mm -hmm. Patrick was very busy mm -hmm. when he was home I mean he he spent a lot of time with us but he's also not used to not working and so I'd be like Patrick just sit with us he's like well no there's dishes I got to do the dishes and I got to take out the trash and then there's this laundry to do which is all valid and it all needed to be done but sometimes I just needed someone to like just sit there with me and be like whoa I just birthed human can you just yeah I remember feeling that too specifically when I had Enoa and my sister Maggie came to help me out and like she would come in for like 10 minutes and be like you need anything I'm like no I'm good da -da -da -da, like check all the boxes and then she'd leave and I'd be like but, but can you just stay here and hang out with me like yeah. I just want somebody here with me yeah, I mean, when you talk about like mothering the new mother I feel like as a new mother myself most of what I do for mothering is just sit there with him mm -hmm. like he'll be whatever scooting across the floor putting stuff in his mouth and I'll just sit there with him. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that's something that I didn't expect to need. And I think at the time I wasn't even able to vocalize that I needed it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a fine balance because I think, yeah. I think often people really want, especially, you know, there, there is, and I think with, we're also trying to do this is like, offer this awareness of being sensitive to the, the mom and the space and just the sacredness of the window and to just not be overbearing and up in somebody's yeah, space. And so parties in their Right, exactly. So it's like unless the mom is giving really specific instructions on yeah. what she's wanting and needing, it's you know, I think at least in our experience thus far here people kind of erred on the side of caution of like, mm -hmm. all right, I don't want to bug you. Yeah, our friend Stephanie came one day and she was like, I kind of wanted to do a steam, but not really that much. And we just ended up sitting there and we talked a little bit about her little boy who was three or something, four months old. And we were at his birth. And then we just watched ice dancing because it was the Winter Olympics. We just like sat in the bed and watched ice dancing together. And that was just such a like sweet moment of, I didn't need to to do anything or to be anything or no one nothing was expected of me and we were just able to sit there together and enjoy each other's presences yeah very sweet mm -hmm. um so those were the first couple weeks steam sits baths galore what was your transition kind of like well I don't know if there's more that you want to add to the I feel like we're good on the first couple of weeks yeah what like what was transitioning back into quote-unquote I mean it's you never really go back to normal life but uh -huh. you know the I feel like the big moment is like coming downstairs at least yeah <laughs> coming downstairs and hanging out in the living room with everybody kind yeah, of thing I mean for me the big moment was going upstairs because oh, our right. bedroom was in the attic and we were staying on the second floor because there was a bathroom on that level and I didn't want to poop in a bucket for a couple of weeks. So one night, in the middle of the night, Patrick had been sleeping upstairs because we had a full-size bed or something that didn't feel like there was enough room for us all to get good sleep with the new little baby and Patrick and myself without falling off the bed. So he had moved upstairs, and in the middle of the night one night, 
I don't, I don't know who was screaming, but one of Sarah's kids was in the bathroom screaming and screaming, and I was like, oh, I'm going up to the attic. And it was my first time up the stairs, and it was just so calm and peaceful and nesty up there. And I felt like I was transitioning out of the, you know, I guess it's sort of like leaving the hospital. You know, like you don't need to be in this birth space anymore. You can go back to your little cocoon. And that felt good. And then I remember for a couple days, I would just sit at the top of the stairs and like look down and be like, hi guys, are you still down there? Does the kitchen still exist? Um, but I think a big transition in that time for me was when Patrick had gone back to work, my mother had gone home, so this was four or something, four I think weeks postpartum, and Sarah went on vacation. And so in the house, it was just me and our friend Brooke, who was like 39 weeks pregnant or something, and also has a two-year-old. And so I was by myself all day, like in terms of doing things. And so I would carry Olin down two flights of stairs and reach the heavy cast iron pan from the hooks where we hang it above the stove to make myself breakfast and then carry Olin back up two flights of stairs. And after like four or five days of that, I was like, I'm like, my vagina is falling out. This is not good. And I felt, I mean, I know you had already planned on going on vacation, but there was definitely a part of me that was like, Sarah abandoned me. I can't do this by myself. Why'd she leave me? And that was really hard. And I think I could have asked for other people to come over and help out. And at the same time, you know, everyone, were people still cooking at that point? Well, if it was four weeks, then technically. Then. But I feel like they weren't. Maybe they were, but I just had to do breakfast and snacks. And at that point I felt like, you know, four weeks postpartum, that's a whole month after you have a baby, you should be able to like make yourself breakfast. And you should. But I, I couldn't, it did mm -hmm. not feel good. It didn't work for my body at that point. And there's definitely part of me that was like, whatever, just like keep doing it. You should, mm -hmm. you should, your body should be strong enough. This mm -hmm. is what which strong just, people do. Which just goes, just goes to show how deep that mm -hmm. conditioning is with all the, all the, you know, studying and learning and yeah. all of it that, that we've done. Uh, it's still really deep. Super. Yep. So yeah. after a week of that, I was like, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And we went to my mom's house for a week. Mm -hmm. Well, I did, and Olin Patrick stayed home because he had to work. Um, and my mom had work too, but she was working from home since COVID. So we stayed with her for a week. She fed us. I didn't have to walk up and down two flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. And you feel like, do you feel like that offered you what you needed? And I think it did, and I kind of feel like I'm still working to undo the damage that was done to my body in that week. Mm. Wow, I have never heard you say that. I mean, I still, f I still feel like mm. this weird shame I f of mm. not being strong in my body again. Mm. Like if I carry Olin in the carrier for whatever, a couple hours in a day, by the end of the day, my pelvic floor is like, <gasps> mm -hmm. and. I don't want to tell people that. Mm -hmm. I want to say like, I'm so strong and healed because I did everything right in the postpartum time. But, well, I don't feel so strong. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there was that, that fourth week of doing, mm -hmm. of jumping to resting all day to not resting all day. So 
it's arguable whether you did it quote unquote right, whatever yeah. that means. I mean, it was a big leap. I mean, I didn't do it right because I knew that it wasn't working for my body and I decided to not ask for help and right. try to do it anyways because I should be able to. That was in quotes. Should. Right, yes. And I also just want to say that even if someone does do it quote unquote right, that sometimes there are still issues. We can do the best we can, but the reality is, is like, our bodies, most people's bodies, I can't speak for everyone, but most people's bodies are not being used the way that they're designed. Like, we're just so much more sanitary and not wearing the right shoes and yada, 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 where like our bodies just aren't as strong and moving in the ways that they're, we're designed to. And so I, I think that it can be a lot of pressure to put on a certain red postpartum regimen to think that like you can avoid any and all issues because there's like a lifetime, if not generations, of yeah. being out of sync with... Out of alignment physically. Right. So, because that, that's something that I went through too, was like with Mayuna, well... I thought that I rested as much as I need to. It ended up only being like two weeks, but the first two weeks I rested really well. And yeah, you're feeling great. And you're like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. And I'm then, back. Right. But even again, well, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of my stories and situations. No, I don't think for any of them. We'll get there. But, but yeah, just similar lines of like, all right, I rested. Check. I'm strong enough. Check. Oh, I'm not. Check. Oh man, what? I thought I did everything right. Yeah. Anyways, it's and then I've been wanting, I want to do another podcast, another episode on, I've just been reflecting recently on like trying to find the balance between enjoying this time that is still a postpartum time and it is still that like soft, receptive time and balancing that with like, how do you balance that with the discipline to strengthen your body again? Mm-hmm. Like to say, I do still need a lot of rest. I sleep probably four hours a night and I don't want to force myself to wake up and to get up and be like super hard on myself. And at the same time, if I do really want to get stronger, I have to decide to do that and commit to do that. So how to balance the energies of like commitment and discipline to strengthening with commitment to rest and to be in the flow of what I need and what Olin needs. Yeah. So. Whole nother episode. Mm-hmm. Guys. All right. Um, are there any? Well, we didn't talk about the tongue tie situation. Oh gosh, that's a that's a big one. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know when, but pretty early on, his latch was feeling very yucky. Okay. Could you go into detail on what that me yucky means? Um. Honestly, I don't remember the physical sensations. Okay. It was very okay. pinchy. It kind of felt like he had teeth, I think. It was just very sharp. And, you know, people have different lactation specialists. Some of them are like, breastfeeding is never supposed to hurt. And some people are like, "Eh, it's often uncomfortable in the first couple of days. But this was more than uncomfortable and it was more than the first couple of days. To the point where I was like, I feel horrible. This feels no good. He doesn't really seem to be that excited about it. He was I remember like him crying a yeah. lot. 
-hmm. I was like, this really isn't working for either one of us. And just remember this like feeling of such like despair of it doesn't feel good to feed my baby. Mm. And it was something that I've been like imagining and looking forward to for a really long time, breastfeeding a baby. And mm -hmm. I was like, this just sucks for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a craniosacral guy come who we are also going to interview. Roy is his name. He's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. He came and he did some adjustments on Olin and afterwards I definitely noticed that prior to him receiving craniosacral, he didn't really put his head back at all, which is important for nursing, so that they can open up their jaw and everything and be in the proper alignment. And after that, he definitely moved his head back a little bit more and I did a consultation with a lactation consultant over Zoom, which was like, not that helpful. Mm. It's like, I kind of already knew all these things. Mm -hmm. Not really that helpful, it's just not working. Mm -hmm. um, and so, when he was born, the midwife, Julia, had said that it seems like he has a pretty decent um, tongue tie and lip tie, which is a pretty controversial thing these days. Some people mm -hmm. are like, everyone has lip ties, everyone should get them revised, I mean tongue ties. If you don't get the ties revised, it can lead to all kinds of situations and adults and just, you know, get the snip. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people are more like, well, it's probably always been around. It doesn't really affect it unless you have like a huge issue. It'll probably be fine. Maybe when like the kid is older and, and falls over the tongue tie or whatever will snap. And I've also heard that like, you know, in the days of yore, midwives had sharp pinky nails just for the purpose of doing a real quick newborn tongue tie snip. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if there are more tongue ties now than there have been because of genetic factors, environmental factors, glyphosate, GMOs, or if we're overdiagnosing them, or if someone has decided that this is gonna be the next industry, we're gonna make a lot of money off moms by telling them all their babies have tongue ties and it's gonna screw them up for life. I don't know what the answer in general on tongue ties is, but in this case, it felt like the best choice to get it revised. Like All right, and that was quite a journey in itself right there. Yeah, we were two weeks postpartum, I think, about. And we went up to Albany, which is like two hours away. And he got his tongue and lip tie lasered, which was as easy as I could have imagined it to be. Mm. You know, it didn't, it was not an easy thing necessarily to get in a car and put Olin in the car seat at two weeks old. I did not want to leave our little cocoon. Of course not. But it was super fast. There was no crying. He came back and the doctor was like, you should notice a huge difference. And I was like, ah, it feels the same. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what I've heard about tongue ties also is that the revision itself, like the actual surgery, the procedure, isn't gonna make a difference unless you really follow up on all of the care prior. So for the next two you weeks- mean not prior. I mean post. Right. So for the next two weeks, we had to stretch up his tongue and his lip three times a day, and he screamed. He did not like it. I did not really like it either. It was pretty rough. And I think there was definitely some some healing and repair that we had to do after that. Mm -hmm. Here he goes. 
throwing hold in? Um, no, that's okay. But after that, so after the tongue tie, we went back to see the craniosacral therapist. I got into the first almost car accident that I've ever gotten in my life. We were driving over the snowy mountain and I just sort of drifted off the road into the snowbank. I, don't I mean, know. you can't call it a car accident, but it was the closest thing that's ever happened to me. So there I was in a truck with a two-month-old baby in the middle of winter in a snowbank. It's a little stressful, but we're all good. Yikes. Um, and then at some point we decided to go to the chiropractor because as much as I loved Roy, I didn't notice that much of a difference. I felt like that whole time people kept being like, oh, like the lactation consultant was like, now that you're doing this, you should feel a big difference. And the laser baby dentist doctor guy was like, oh, you should feel a big difference now. And Roy was like, there should be a difference. Do you notice anything? And I was like, no, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. But after we started to see the chiropractor, I think that's when it started to get better quickly. We were going twice a week. He was just doing the cutest little baby adjustments. Um, and he would like, he would feel Owen's skull bones and feel like, oh, on this side, something is not in the right place and this needs to be moved around. And after the first time Owen was adjusted, I nursed him and I was like, whoa, that's like a lot more of my nipple in his mouth. That feels like what it's supposed mm. to feel like. Yeah, which probably, I mean, his position coming out in yeah, the crazy head was all squished in weird ways. his head mm -hmm. was probably affected all of that. Yeah, and I definitely wonder what happened, what would have happened if we'd just gone to the chiropractor first thing. Mm, you mean and just didn't even get the revision? Yeah. I feel mm -hmm. like next baby might just like day after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, Dr. Lester. Yeah, I mean, if he would do house calls, then that would be. I think he would. Yeah. If I still am here. Mm -hmm. But that definitely made a difference. And we went to him for many months, every week, every first twice a week, then every week, then every other week. And now I love to breastfeed my baby. Yay! Yeah, and he likes it too. Except I don't like it when he bites well, me with yeah, sharp little teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that but that's not something that can be resolved with chiropractic care. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, so that was another part of the postpartum adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a pretty big one. Mm -hmm. I remember, I definitely remember feeling you in like those first couple days of you being pretty uncomfortable and him mm -hmm. seeming pretty uncomfortable and yeah it was feeling probably uncomfortable because when he was nursing he was getting in a lot of air mm. and it was upsetting mm -hmm. his little belly yeah and i definitely felt i mean on some level i felt kind of helpless but i will give myself a little bit of credit that <laughs> i went to the chiropractor and i told him about what was happening it's true was like oh you gotta get her over here and, and we got a like, coupon all right and i went home and i was like mabel Go see the dude. So, I helped a little bit. You did. You helped a lot. But, um, um, one thing that I would definitely look into for the next time is, I don't know if, I don't think I was tested for that whole MTHFR gene mm, situation, mm -hmm. but apparently that can affect like midline tissue development. Mm. So there's some theories that people who have the MTHFR gene mutation and it is being expressed or it was like it's turned on mm -hmm. for various factors which i think are often just not optimal nutrition that that can be manifest in babies who have 
midline tissue situations. You mean it can manifest as, yeah. like if the mom has MTHFR, right. then it can manifest as. Mm -hmm. This is something I definitely want to research more, but yeah. I mean also like a lot of the babies in the community had short cords and have what oh, I've been affectionately calling second buttholes. Oh wow, okay. Well, I think every single one of the babies has had a short cord. Yeah. Um, the second butthole thing is, you know, just like up in the little butt crack, it's a deeper dimple than in a lot of babies. A pretty deep, uh, what is it, gluteal cleft, I think is what it's called. Are you talking about Well, that's about just something? the butt crack. But there's like specifically, it's like a little hole. Yeah. What is it? I, I don't know. I but if that's like, I mean, in a very dramatic, you know, like this is a very minor thing, but if it's super dramatic, that can just be spina bifida where the spinal cord is exposed at the base right. of the spine, right. which is thought to maybe be a folate situation, which can be related to MTHFR. Oh, sorry. Tripped on stroller. Um, if, because it has something to do with like the body's capability to methylate vitamins. I need to research more about this. Yeah, another podcast. But this is another thing where I think possibly optimizing nutrition could have prevented this situation. Maybe. Maybe. We'll never know. All right. So I think that's, that's the postpartum situation. You learned a lot, I feel like, in your postpartum. Yeah. And I also just spent a lot of time like staring out the window across the street. There's this guy who came every day and was just like chopping wood. I just spent a lot of time watching A.B. chop wood, <laughs> which was awesome. I like a couple times I tried to listen to podcasts and I would just end up falling asleep, but mm -hmm. I could reliably count on my wood chopping buddy as good entertainment. I definitely spent many hours just staring out the window and mm -hmm. thoroughly enjoying doing no, no, quote unquote nothing, but yeah. it was just to give my... Stitching your entire reality back together. Yeah. Physically, emotionally, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. What are you doing, little boy? Alrighty. Well, I hope that that was inspiring. And remember that... Um, well, I want to do a whole other podcast on, on manifesting your ideal postpartum care. But just that it's, it's totally possible. Uh, of course, not everybody lives in a community and not everybody lives close to their mom, but um, there's a lot of options and a lot of unique ways to manifest the care that you need. And when we say manifest, we don't mean like, come to me care, I'm putting the vibes out in the universe. We mean make it happen. Yeah, take action, take initiation and, and do it. And mm -hmm. initiative. Yeah. initiative. So, any last thoughts you wanna? I'm sure that in half an hour we'll be like, oh, we didn't talk about that thing, but I think this is good for now. Yeah. Please reach out if you have any questions, comments. Um, I think there'll be a lot more podcasts on. <laughs> Olinkies is done with the podcast walk. So we're going to sign off here. But um, yeah, reach out, ask questions more more on this coming and we'll put links for all the things that we mentioned in the show notes providing i remember all the things that we mentioned all right take care folks so long so long